The weekend just got more entertaining. It's Weekend Joe on Claves Online, driven by Munganast, St. Louis Acura. Hear from some of the big names in St. Louis and national sports every weekend. And now, here's Joe Roderick and me. I'm Andy Hanselman. And welcome on in to another episode of Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura right here on ClabesOnline.com. I am your host, Joe Roderick. Joined alongside, virtually, as always, is Andy Hanselman. And Andy, I gotta say, I think like by now, you and I are probably good to do the show in person, but this is way too convenient uh, for me, and I think this is the way it's going to probably stay. Yeah, it, it really is super convenient that our, that you don't need to drive over here. I don't need to drive over there. I can just come home from my little seven-minute drive from work, sit down here in the home studio, and we can just have ourselves a, a nice little broadcast. Yeah, a lot to get to today. I will tell you, uh, interview-wise, if you're looking for Andy and I to uh, to really dive into everything going on in the world, I will tell you that the guests that we have on today will take care of, uh, of a lot of those topics. Uh, so coming up on the show today, we have the former Cardinal World Series champion from the 2006 team, uh, Preston Wilson. And we also have a slew legend and a former NBA star Larry Hughes on the show, both of whom will be talking about all of the social injustice issues going on in our country right now. And uh, Larry here locally talking about that as we uh, I'll dive into that with both of them. And uh, quite frankly, Andy, it's uh, it's better for them to talk about it because it's stuff that they have experienced and stuff that they know about. And they are going to give a lot better of an idea of it than you and I do. Oh, absolutely. You know, I as a matter of fact, Joe, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself, you know, a pretty informed person. Um, I've, I've had to stop watching the news, um, over the past couple of days. I mean, I, I obviously I know what's going on. Uh, there's just all kinds of different crap going on. Uh, but I, I just, you know, there's only so much a person can take of it. And I, I reached my threshold at about Wednesday night. Yeah. I, uh, so the way I kind of approach this, I talk about it with both Preston and Larry. I, I talked about it with Klaibs during the lunch show last Monday. The, the way I have looked at this the past week is I've, I've listened. That's I've listened, I've read, I've learned, and I'll say it again. I've, if you know, you've watched any of that stuff and you listen to the interviews, you'll, you'll hear me probably say it again in those. I can't remember if I said it exactly or not. I am, you know, a 35 year old white guy. I went to Alton high, which has a, you know, has a, a good amount of black students there. And I played basketball in high school at Alton High. If you're familiar with the teams at Alton High, Andy, there's not a lot of white guys on the team. No, and no. And I so for four or five months out of the year, freshman through senior year, I made a lot of friends who had different color skin than I did and hung out with a lot of them. And we shared a lot of memories over those years. I, you know, I would hang out at their houses on Fridays or before games or during the week. If we had a game at eight o'clock and we get out of school at three, 
I, well, we're, we're hanging out somewhere We're we're going and we're, you know, playing video games or grabbing dinner. And I thought I knew a lot of these guys really well. I thought I knew a lot about their upbringings, their families. I mean, these are guys that I hung out with a lot and got to know. And over the past two weeks, seeing some of these friends of mine post the stories that they have and post their thoughts on this and post some of their experiences from when I knew them, when they were, you know, when they were teenagers in high school and not knowing any of these stories because it wasn't something they shared is, is eye opening. And I've, I've, I've said this a few times that seeing these guys who I would you know, we, we all turned, you know, 16, 17, whatever, got our driver's license, same time. And to to see that, you know, they were sat down by their parents and their parents explained to them what to do at traffic stops if they were ever to get pulled over. And knowing that that wasn't something that I ever had happened to me, it's like we grew up in different countries almost, even though we grew up in the same city, went to the same school, were in the same classes, all of that. And it's, it's, it's incredible to kind of have that realization through an, an experience or through an instance, like what we've, what we've had. A high school friend of mine was a uh, member of the basketball team, but then uh, as an adult became a, um, he, he had a role in county government. I just, I'll, I want to leave it at that. I don't want to get anything too specific. And even in, even in his, it was a high ranking role in county government. Uh, how many times he was profiled by the police. Mm. Um, it, uh, it's, it's awful what happens. Yeah. Now, I, you know, you talked about, you know, not getting sat down. I was, I, I was told, you know, that when you get pulled over by the cops, you're supposed to sit there with your hands at 10 and two. Uh, when they approach, you know, tell them that your wallet's in your back pocket, your driver's license is in there. Is it okay to go ahead and reach it? You know, just just make them feel make them feel at ease. Um, I I don't think those are the conversations that some of my black friends and, and their parents were having. Right. Uh, along and that's those- what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, everybody. I, I feel like every parent is going to give their kid that talk about that. I, I think it goes even a few steps further for for others, and that's that's what I've seen along those lines. And it's it's you know really heartbreaking to read some of this and. And, you know, see what is being said and what is, uh, you know, and then for some of the pushback that I've seen other people give them about that, it's it's just, it's a time for people to listen and to learn if you haven't had to experience that. There's no reason to listen to somebody's comments that of, on a topic that you know nothing about and I to try to read, try, try to rebuke them. There is, it, it makes, it, there is nothing that you're going to do. And I, I'm very, I'm very happy with the interviews that you'll hear today with, uh, with, with Preston and with Larry over the, uh, the topics and hopefully, uh, People will enjoy them over the uh, over the next few hours here on the uh, the program. So I wanted to get that out of the way. You'll hear you'll hear thoughts about that coming up here on the uh, on the show. Andy, it, it, we have NHL. They're set. Twenty four uh, teams, two hub cities. NBA, twenty two teams going down to Orlando. We have that set. MLS is going to do a World Cup style tournament um, down in Florida somewhere. 
for the start of their season. So, I think so also in Orlando is what I've heard. It's already in Orlando too. Cool. Orlando must as the uh, the place to be. And of yeah. course, it's MLS and NBA, two things that have nothing to do with St. Louis. Otherwise, I would try to uh, finagle my way down there for oh, uh, for right. a month. So <laughs> yeah. You know, if hey, we'll we'll see where the blues end up and uh, see what I can pull off with uh, with that. So didn't see which. What are the two hub cities for the NHL? What they pick? They have not picked them yet. Uh, I know in the Western Conference, Los Angeles and Vegas seem to be the top two options. Okay. So if I have to go to one of those, if I can make my way to one of those cities, then for a month, maybe maybe we pull it off. I don't know. We'll uh we, we we'll see what I can uh what I can make happen. We'll see uh what kind of help I can get from Klaibs on uh <laughs> on that. So we'll uh we'll we'll cross those bridges when we uh when we get there. Baseball on the other hand, I I don't know what to say at this point. I it's it sucks and <laughs> It's extremely disappointing that they can't uh, they can't come together to figure something out for the uh, for the betterment of the game. And you know, we talked about it last week. If they don't if they don't play this year, uh, it, it could be quite a while before we see baseball again. Yeah, and that's uh, you know how how far will they fall if something like that happens? And it's uh, it's something I, I don't want to think about. But every week that passes by, it seems like that might be the case. And then you then you see. Then you see these ideas floated out. You see 114 games, 49 games, 82 games. The players are told to come back. Bush Stadium's open, but we're not playing games. Uh, yesterday, I saw a report that visit that the broadcasters, everybody that broadcasts the games, radio and TV, were told that they wouldn't be traveling to road games. That they would be doing it from the studios if if you know when the season starts so there are a lot of there are a lot of wheels in motion talking about the start of the season but the people that are most important to the season starting aren't even talking right now here here we sit friday night they are not talking at all and i don't know man i i i don't i don't know what to think right now i i hope the owners can get their act together and they can figure out a way to put a deal in place that makes the players happy and stop hiding some of this money. I, I mean, you know, it's, I, I get if they open the books, you, you then put your, put major league baseball at risk of having a salary cap. And then the players are hurt from that because they're going to be making far less money. I, I get all of the, the, you know, I, I guess what chicken and egg type stuff is, is what we're seeing back and forth from them. And, it's it's frustrating when they are acting like this instead of just sitting down. I mean, that's the thing. Get them all in a room, sit them down, talk to them about it instead of just going back and forth and sending proposals. If you sit down and you have a conversation about it, maybe something gets done. But right now, it's hard to it's hard to fathom a baseball season starting. But I think it was Rammer that said it last week that it's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe, maybe that is the situation we have. Yeah, I mean, I would feel like that they need to get something taken care of here probably by the end of the weekend. I mean, if they really want to cons- uh, seriously consider having a season, um, you know, the 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 end of the weekend kind of puts us right into the into the middle 10 days of June, uh, you know, give or take a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, talk about at least a two or three week, two or three week training camp. It's going to be necessary for these guys uh, to get ready to go and then have baseball by July 4th. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's extremely disheartening. 
Um, I see where the players are coming from. I see where the owners are coming from. I see both sides of the story. Um, it's just it's unfortunate that that they can't figure it out together. Yeah, it's it is. Uh, but never, never, nonetheless, I mean, there's nothing really that we can keep diving into about this and and do. Uh, but still, you know, we continue on the month of June. Uh, by the way, here on Claves Online, a new month of we of uh, this day in Cardinal history. That started this week, Kamish Hummel. He's uh, back again. And then we added a new voice for some dates this month. Andy, uh, I believe, I want to say already this morning, I think. Because I, I, I recorded a few of them today. I believe, as people are listening to this on Saturday morning, June 6th, I believe John Rooney makes his debut on uh, this day in Cardinal history. So we have uh, one of the voices of the Cardinals, John Rooney, will uh, will be part of the uh, the mix for this month. So really uh, looking forward to some of the stories that he will uh, that he'll share over all of his years in St. Louis. So that's a uh, that's something else you have to look forward to. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to believe that this would be John John's uh, 14th season behind the Mike Cardinals baseball. Uh, he started, I believe, in 2006. Yeah, first year was a World Series year. Yeah, he uh, he went back-to-back World Series uh, championships because in 2005, he was calling games for the White Sox, and then 2006, came here in St. Louis and called another World Series championship. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's seen a lot, been around the block. Um, he's, uh, he's a good guy. I didn't realize one of the memories uh, that I, I was listening to some of the stuff uh, was from 1980, and that was his first year at Camo X. So 1980 was uh, was the year he started at Camo X before he became a uh, before he started just doing radio play by play all over the place, and then landed in uh, Chicago and then made his way back down to St. Louis. So. A lot of memories coming from John Rooney and Rick Hummel, and I'm not sure we'll have audio this week as well from some classic moments. Uh, I believe one of the audios that we have is Whitey Herzog being introduced as Cardinal manager. So that's, uh, yeah. What was so that's, John's role at Camel X when he started in 1980? Was, was he just kind of hosting sports open line or? I have no idea. I just, I know it was mentioned in there that's that's all i can that's all i know right now i i I haven't i haven't dug deep enough into that at the uh at the moment so i'm not sure of uh of that yet so i had had a busy week here i um that so andy you know that i i am not very good at doing anything around the house you're we're we're both well aware of that there's there's no hiding that at all you are not Um, unquote handy nope not at all um but this week I finally got sick of it. Probably two years in the making. I uh, knocked down my entire back fence in my backyard. Oh, wow. Everything. Took sledgehammer, knocked everything out. And I'd been using the sledgehammer a lot lately because I found big, huge tractor tires on the campus of Belleville East, where I usually work out in the mornings when I go to the track. I rolled one of them all the way to the bleachers, probably about a half a mile. And I have been storing it underneath the bleachers and I've been bringing my own sledgehammer up to the, uh, up to the track to hit the tire with a sledgehammer. That has been one of my uh, workouts. Yeah. It's like Rocky. I think yes. Rocky, uh, Rocky four when he was, he was uh, working out in the mountains. Yeah. So I, I went, I knocked down the entire fence in the backyard, carried everything up to the driveway and then had a friend who lives on a, uh, on a farm. He let me borrow his trailer. I filled it up with three loads, uh, the trailer, three loads of the trailer, took it back to his farm three times, and then we burned it. So 
that was one day out of, uh, that was an entire, I mean, we're talking, uh, six to eight hours. It, it took me to do that entire thing by myself. So, and that was your workout? For the no, I, I still worked out ahead of time. Yeah, I still worked out ahead of time because then the next day, yeah, I, I did. I can't remember what I did in the morning then for that. Uh, but then the next day, I, I then had to clean up the whole yard because, you know, you take down the fence, there's leaves and stuff on the other side. There's all kinds of garbage and stuff that, you know, you just don't get to when the fence is up or you don't pay any mind to it. Andy, I filled up 20 lawn bags. Oh, my goodness. Yes. 20 of them carried all those to the front and then went for a nice little run. So I have, uh, I've been getting the, uh, I've been getting the workouts in for, uh, for that and not, not on top of that. Um, so Andy, so I, I need to map it out to your place, uh, because another thing I've been doing with all the running has been biking. And I went up to my friends at the bike surgeon in O'Fallon today and got a few new tires on my bike, uh, got the gears and the chain and everything fixed. And we started looking at the maps of all the trails. Andy, there is a trail that goes from O'Fallon yep. I, pretty much all the way probably to your house. It does. All these, there's a, a big hub of trails uh, less than a half a mile from my house where about four of them all meet up. Andy, I might have to, uh, I, I might have to, uh, make a ride to your house sometime soon. Okay. I have a, I have a bike rack coming, uh, Amazon. I think it's coming Saturday night. Yeah. And so I'll be able to drive my car to the trailhead over in O'Fallon and I'm, I'm just going to be able to, uh, to go. With yeah, you that. Should. Yeah. Um, so I know the MCT trails, you know, they're beautiful. They're all, uh, they're all old rail beds that they converted, yes. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, started paving everything. I mean, and there's one that the schoolhouse trail is one of the longest trails in the County. I think it, I want to say it runs close to 35 or 40 miles because it kind of like runs in a loop. It starts, you know, kind of starts up North and loops back around. And, um, you can, you pretty much catch it anywhere. <laughs> I think that's the one that catches, uh, that runs up through Troy and then comes down to us. Then comes down by me. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna make this uh, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm looking here. Yeah, it's about a, a 17 mile ride, it's uh it looks like through that. And I'm I'm just gonna pack some snacks. Um yep. and I'm just gonna have a go at it because the other day I went ended up going, I think it was twenty five miles out there on the uh on the bike to one of the new trails here another thing man i need a helmet i need to get a helmet because i don't think i'm i i i there these new trails are unknown trails i don't trust myself you know i can understand that yeah i can so totally understand that yeah that's another thing that i need to uh i need to invest in no, so i can understand you want to wear, wear uh, ride a helmet on these new uh on these new trails. So Joe, you can pretty much, you can ride a bike from your house to Grafton. Yeah. To Staunton up to new Douglas out to Marine. You can also hop on and ride a trail and go across the Mississippi river on the old chain of rocks bridge. God, could you imagine going all the way from where I live in Belleville, all the way to Grafton? No, That'd be crazy. 
It really would. Because I'm looking at what you're talking about right now, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's a possible, that's a whole day. It would be a whole day. Whew. I think what I would, if you wanted to do that ride and really wanted, I would start, I would, I would actually, I would start down in Granite and ride up to Grafton. I would, that'd be too much of a ride to ride from like O'Fallon all the way through Edwardsville up to Grafton. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's uh, I'll 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 keep uh, I'll keep you updated on that. I'll let you know when I come out to at least Edwardsville and make that uh, make that trip up there. So that we have all these trails around here and people still ride their bikes in the roads. I realize they're allowed to. I realize yeah. to share the road with them, and that's a polite thing to do. And of course, I give them plenty of room. I don't you know I don't demean them or anything or yell at them or but I want to. I'm like, hey, buddy, there's a trail literally. 500 yards that way that you right. could be riding on safely. Just let them be. I let do. Them, yeah. Oh, I, they, I, don't say, I don't say anything to them. Of course not. Yeah. That's, and that's one of the things I, there's a few, there's a few parts out here where I find myself on an actual street and that's, that's kind of added on to me needing to go get a helmet. So I think that's going to be done this week as, uh, as well. So, Hey, we have, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, uh, I do in crack slippers. I want to get into the, uh, the whole 10,000 calorie talk that work. we had. Yeah. That we had, um, last week. So I want to, uh, get into that. Before and we throw it to break real quick. Yes. My old buddy, Craig young, who commented on what I think on one of the, uh, on one of the shows, uh, links from last weekend. Yes. He, that he throws an over under on when you start talking about how much you ran the previous week. Yeah. And I, I really got a lot of enjoyment out of that. So, so th- first of all, Craig, thanks for listening. I've known Craig since about 1984. Yeah. So, uh, God, that was Craig, before I was born. And, uh, and thanks for giving Joe some shit. <laughs> Andy, that was before I was born. <laughs> Craig and I are old. Yeah, that's uh, that is. Uh, but hopefully, I, I'll, I'll I want to know if I hit the over under on uh, on this week. So I do too. And yeah. I, I noticed you waited till kind of later in the later in the in the in the segment to, to bring it up. It was about 18. I did. Yeah, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. So definitely, uh, definitely did that. So we will. Uh, yeah, we'll take a break here. Hey, when we come back, uh, we'll start off Preston Wilson, then Larry Hughes coming up on the uh, on the show. Hey, we're sponsored by Munganass St. Louis Acura, and we've talked about it for a few weeks now. Last uh, last week, or I guess a few weeks now, that they have their uh, current special right now: seven hundred and fifty dollars off for a brand new 2020 Acura buying or leasing that for all first responders and healthcare workers, first responders and healthcare workers, $750 off a new 2020 Acura. That's if you're buying it or leasing it at St. Louis, Munganas, uh, St. Louis Acura right now through July 6th. So uh, July 6th is, uh, so you have about a month left for that deal, $750 off a 2020 Acura at Munganas St. Louis Acura. Back with the interviews right after this. It's Weekend Joe Driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura right here exclusively on ClabesOnline.com. Recent events have shown that life can turn in an instant. This has caused many people to realize that estate planning is essential. The Inskip Law Firm is here to help with everything from trusts and wills to power of attorney, deeds, and probate. They have systems in place to service your needs without having to have an in-person consultation, 
flat fees so that you know what you're paying ahead of time, and they make the whole process easy. Call now, 314-818-0344. Just a quick chat, and you decide together what services are right for your situation. That's the Inskip Law Firm, I-N-S-K-I-P. And remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertising. And welcome back into Weekend Joe, driven by Munganash St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com as we start off with this weekend's guest list. We start off with a former St. Louis Cardinal World Series champion from the 2006 team. We welcome in Preston Wilson. Preston, what's going on? How are you? Doing all right, man. You know, trying to keep everybody in the house safe and, uh, you know, we've got COVID going on and now we've got the protest on top of that. So it's a, it's a pretty crazy time and uh, just trying to manage the household and keep everybody focused on doing the right thing. Yeah, we, we were talking about that before we started recording here that uh, it, it seems, you know, it was what, five months ago, I guess, that I was down in, in Miami and then uh, then in Jupiter for a week and you know, right then, we're, we're, I guess there was a huge hotbed down there in Florida back then. But, I mean, that seems like ages ago now that uh, that we were getting on planes and flying around places. Yeah, that was before we realized how, uh, you know, how bad this thing really was, how bad COVID was really was, how easily transmissible it was. And uh, the world has definitely changed since that time. Yeah, it has. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. I knew you had the St. Louis connection. And uh, I, I wanted to talk just about – being a, a black athlete in, in baseball, and I, I know how vocal you are on social media about, uh, about everything that's, that's going on, you played in so many different cities in your major league career. What was the experience like going from town to town, city to city? What were some things that you, you experienced during your playing days? Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of good places in all, all the cities that I played in. Um, you can definitely tell there's a difference in the culture in the places that I played in. Um, Miami was, has this, this big wide culture where it's pretty much a mix of everybody. And you can see any type of environment within a five block, you know, radius in most places. Um, then I went to, uh, Colorado and Colorado was a little bit different. Um, and there definitely wasn't as many Cubans or Latin Americans there, but they did have a, uh, they had a big African community, like a Somali community. They had a big, uh, uh Korean community there in Denver. So it was a, you have different, uh, different, uh, demographics there. Um, but also, I mean, I had fun in Denver. I had fun in Denver. Denver I thought I had a, a good time. Uh, Washington, um, was a place where when I went there, you could definitely tell there were more African Americans there. It was just, you could just feel it, uh, the place to eat, the place you go. We were just more visible. You could see uh, people that had my skin uh, more visible there. Um, you know, so I, I enjoyed every place I went. Houston was a little different. Houston felt kind of segregated to me a little bit. There were some places where it's almost all African-Americans, and there were some places where you hardly see any. Um, but if you go out in the nightlife, there were places where everybody co-mingled and it was cool. Just, just like the living situation there seemed very... Uh, very, very, very segregated in some areas. Um, and to me, St. Louis was kind of the same way. St. Louis, you have a lot of areas where there's definitely a lot of African-Americans and then you have places like uh, Clayton and uh, Quivcura where it's almost none, you know? So you, that's just part of how the country started and they haven't really progressed from that when it comes to housing and living. But when you're at the ballpark, to me, I had a great experience. It's just really unique to see 
the differences between the area that's right outside of the stadium where St. Louis is, as opposed to how it is inside the stadium. But it was kind of a unique dynamic to me. And I know, you know, all 50 states right now are, we're seeing protests throughout the entire country. But some of the cities that you mentioned, some of the cities that you've played in, you're seeing those, those protests seem to be bigger than, than others. St. Louis is one of them. And St. Louis has had their issues in, in the past, in, in the past five, six years. And you're seeing some of those issues that, that haven't gone away, that are still fresh in people's minds. That are that are coming back. Is that something? I mean, you say that you notice it. You say that you noticed it seeing the fans. Is that something that you know you you knew going into those cities, or is that something that you maybe learned about as you acclimated yourself to those cities? Well, I played against those cities when I was with the Marlins. I played against pretty much all those teams at some point when I was with the Marlins. So it catches your eye. You know, I, I remember um, even when I was a kid, twelve years old, watching my dad play uh, in the World Series in Boston. There was some reporters going around asking people, and they pulled me for side, and they said, you know, how does it feel being one of the only black people in the stadium? And I didn't, like, it didn't even dawn on me at the time because I'm with my mom and I'm watching my dad play. But after they asked me that question, I looked around, and there, I probably couldn't have picked out 10 in that whole stadium. You know, it was just, and that, I mean, that's a 12-year-old's perception. There may have been more, but in my mind at that time, there wasn't really that many. Um, and, I mean, when you when you go around different parts of the country, you realize that there's different fans that that are going to support the teams more. Um, yeah, and some of it's economics. Some some of the people near those areas that are African American can't afford to pay a baseball game because they're worried about other stuff they're dealing with, and that kind of goes back partially to the policing. You know, we saw in Ferguson the report that came out how there was an area that had, you know, all the almost all the tickets were going to African Americans, like ninety something percent of the tickets were going to African-Americans. And it's just, you realize it becomes a predatory practice. And I think what you're seeing is the places that have the bigger protest or have the biggest, you know, pain, the, the most hurting, the most sore feelings are the ones who've had the most to deal with. You know, you look at Minnesota, Minnesota had a lot to deal with. They're just coming off Orlando of Castile, you know, just a little while ago. And now you have this incident. Um, and there were some others in between that. So you. There's there certain areas where people are just, they're hurting so bad, there's so much pain, and they feel like the country's not listening to them. And you start seeing you have to have a protest. Because if you don't have a protest, you don't know what else to do. Sadly, there's some people who are doing property damage. So sadly, there are some people who have violence that are, that are taking away from the meaning of it. Um, I honestly don't believe that's the heart of the BLM, mat, or the BLM movement. I think those are agitators who may want to seem like they're with Black Lives Matter and just want to vent whatever they have, whatever their inclination is to go out there and do this, they're using it as a cover. Um, so mainly the, the idea is, you know, we just want to get to a point where people are being heard. And sadly, when you have marching and speeches, uh, you know, you're writing letters to your congressmen, uh, you have a football player that's kneeling, that's trying to tell everybody that they're not listening to us, like, this is a way to get a lot of eyes on it. And then not only does the league kind of push it away, then you got the government talking bad about it. And now this has come full circle where the same issues that they've been talking about, marching about, asking about, writing letters about for years are continually happening. And I think this finally just came to a head. And you see, you mentioned the NFL. 
we not only see the NFL come out with a statement about how they stand with, with the matters that are going on, which seems so tone deaf given everything that happened with Colin Kaepernick, but then you have one of the biggest stars in the entire NFL, Drew Brees, with the comments he made yesterday to where now you're having players, his own teammates, are, are speaking out against it to where we're five years removed from what Colin Kaepernick did. And people just still don't get exactly what it was that he was trying to accomplish. I, I really do feel that there's some willful ignorance going on when it comes to that, because everyone has been telling people that it's not about disrespecting the flag. As a matter of fact, Kaepernick consulted with a special forces member for this idea because he didn't want to disrespect the flag. His whole purpose for talking to the special service, special forces uh, operative was because he wanted to find a way to do it where he would not disrespect the country. That was his aim. He got that idea from the special forces guy. He goes out there and does it. And the first thing they do is take the focus off of unarmed black people being killed by police to making it about the flag. Because now everybody's all of a sudden so patriotic. Now, I mean, the NFL just got caught for paying, for have, you know, having the military pay them to have these, these big uh, patriotic, you know, displays with the flags on the field and the troops coming home. It came out that they were getting paid for that. They didn't want to do that. But once they started getting paid, then they started doing it. So all of a sudden they're patriotic for money, but they're not patriotic in a way where they're respecting what the flag stands for. And the flag is supposed to stand for all Americans. And I think that's the part where the frustration comes in. We're not saying that we want special treatment. African-Americans aren't saying they want special treatment. They just want equal treatment. I want the same opportunity to get home as you do if you run into a cop and it's a nonviolent offense and you're unarmed. If we both have those same set of circumstances, I want to have the same chance of getting home as you do. That's what it's all about. And I, so if we're going on five years now and there's still that ignorance there, what, what can be done? What can be said? How can this be, how can this be taught to players like Drew Brees that, that seems like they just don't want to learn? Some, if someone doesn't want to learn, you can't teach them. You can't. I mean, I, I have friends that I've talked to. Some have said, you know what, man, I had no idea that this was happening like this. And I should have known, I'm sorry I didn't know. And then there's some I talk to that ignore all the information and say, well, what about this? Or what about that? And to me, it's, if you're gonna compare, say if we're talking about murder, cause I had a guy talk to me like, well, you know, there, there's white people getting killed more than black people by cops. And I had to take a second to have him realize that African-American is only 12% of this country but we're three times more likely to be killed by the police in situations like that. So if you're gonna compare those numbers, you're basing it on the fact of, of, a, of a demographic that has 50%, 50 to 60% of the population of this country versus 12% of the population of this country, yet the people that are the 12% of this country are three times likely to be killed by police. Those are staggering numbers. So if you're going to look at the totals, that's one thing. But if you're looking at the likelihood, the percentage, it's off the charts. So I, I try to try to teach people in a way where I want allies. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for being white. I'm not trying to make anybody kneel down or lose their pride for anything. What it's about is asking you to care about me as much as you care about any other American. It should hurt you to your heart 
that there's one set of Americans that is being victimized and people aren't being punished for it. Yeah. But some people, it doesn't. And how do we fix it? We can't reach all the people. So what's going to have to have to change is the laws, the process that it's going through. I'm talking about independent prosecutors. We have situations where we have prosecutors that are asked to bring cases against cops that they've worked with for years, sometimes decades. Those same cops are the cops that they've been asking them to go out and get me information, go out and get me help for my case, to build my case. Cops help build prosecutors' careers. So now we're asking those same prosecutors to prosecute their friends, their work, their work, their work friends. And it's almost a system that's built to fail. And then you have the other protections that are built in police through the police unions where you can barely even sue the police, even when they're off duty. So they have so many layers of protection that enables them to have criminal behavior and get away with it. Preston Wilson, our uh, our guest here, and uh, you know what you were saying about teaching your friends or they them asking you questions. That's something that I've I've found uh, myself these past few weeks is guys that I played basketball with in high school that I I would hang out with four or five months out of every year and thought I knew really well. I'm now seeing their stories online and seeing stories about you know, their dad sitting them down and explaining to them when they were 16 of what to do when they got pulled over. And these are things that I never, that never occurred to me, never, that I never knew about them either with that. And I felt that it is just so important this past week to not, you know, that my opinion doesn't matter in any of this. I need to listen. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of people need to do is listen and be educated on, on how different you know, my, my America might be from, from someone like you. The first thing I tell my friends, my, my friends who aren't African-American is look, I get it. I understand why you don't see how the cops could be the way that they're being described in some of the cases that we say, because they don't present themselves to you in that manner. It's a different relationship. There's a different expectation when that interaction occurs in their mind. For us, we get the talk. I, I, every, every kid in my family has gotten the talk. My daughters get the talk. I got one that's five and one that's 17. My daughters get the talk. Uh, my, my grandfather gave my fathers the talk. My father gave me the talk. They gave my uncles. Like, it's just part of life because we know that we have to look, move, act, present in a way that they deem as unthreatening, that they deem as uh, acceptable for what they want so that we can make it back home. I mean, my dad tells me stories about being in South Carolina when he was younger, just being pulled over for no reason. You know, he's driving a car the cop doesn't recognize. You know, all of a sudden now he's got to be, you know, doing something wrong. You know, he's got to be uppity. He's got to be one of these new Negroes or whatever. Whatever the term was they used at the time, that goes through their mind. I've been stopped down here in Miami on South Beach. Me and my best friend driving back from a nightclub in the car with some friends, we're driving around, a cop comes, headed my way, does a U-turn, comes behind me, pulls me over. No violation, nothing whatsoever. First thing he asked me was, what are you, some kind of pimp or something? Jeez. Or no, and I never got a ticket because I wasn't drinking. Nobody in the car was doing it. There was no, nothing in the car. I got, he just walked away from the car. His sole reason to pull me over was just to see who I was, why I was in that car, 
and if there was something he could hang on me just for stopping me. I was so scared. I didn't even think to get his badge number. Like we, didn't, we, just, we just went home and just relaxed. Like we were so shook because we don't know what's gonna happen in that situation because we've seen those situations play out before where African-American men are doing nothing and it turns out that they're dead. So in that moment, like you freeze, you wanna think about when you get, oh, whoa, I would have done this or I would have got his badge number. No, you're too scared to do that. I was too scared to do that. So what is your, your message to those that are out there right now protesting where some of these have turned violent and we're seeing some instances where excessive force is being used? What is your message to the people that are out there who are fighting for, for a good cause? The first thing I would say is try to figure out that the people that are with the movement are actually in the movement. Try to find all those people who aren't actually with you, these outside agitators that are coming in and making sure they're not destroying your message. And if you have people that are with your group that are committing violence or doing vandalism, you need to stop that because that is destroying your message. Do I understand the frustration? I get the frustration and some people don't know how to handle the frustration. Just like some of the cops don't know how to handle the frustration of them being pushed back upon it. And we're seeing some of the cops becoming aggressors. So both sides have to realize that this thing started about one thing. It started about the issues of black men being, black men and women being unarmed and killed doing incidents that have nothing to do with violence. We're talking about a woman being shot in her bed because they came into the wrong house and they just opened fire. We're talking about a grandmother in Atlanta a few years ago, but the same thing that happened. They came in the door, they had the wrong house and they killed her. We're talking about Philando Castile. We're talking about Eric Garner. We're talking about uh, uh, Michael Brown. We're talking about uh, Ahmaud Arbery. We're talking about, it. well, Arbery wasn't the cops, but it was a guy who thinks he was still right. the cop. Uh, we're talking about unarmed black people being killed and no charges being brought. That, that's what it's about. So what I would tell those people in those moments, in the movement, stay on target, keep your focus. Don't try not to let other outsiders disrupt your message. And if you find people that are marching with you, that are creating violence, you need to single them out and make sure that gets taken care of. Because that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring focus to the fact that for years and years, African-American men and women have been killed or put in situations where they lose their lives over nonviolent offenses. Sandra Bland in Texas gets yanked out of her car, gets put in jail. She dies in jail. There's way, I, I, these are just popping up to me off the top of my head. That's, that's not normal to have that many instances that are playing in someone's head of someone who may have committed, who may have committed an offense but not a violent offense, not a violent offense, and they did not have a weapon on them. So therefore, the threat to that officer is not great. As your as your platform as a former Major League Baseball player, when was there a certain instance? Was there a certain time where you looked back and you realized that you needed to speak out on on this stuff and you needed to help those with less of a voice than you? <clears throat> Um, honestly, in baseball, you have to be really careful about it. Um, and I think it's changing a little bit more now. But the fact is, is there's one black owner. There's Derek Jeter. So a lot of those men who own the teams, even though they may not say it, still harbor some of those feelings because they're products of the 50s, 60s. You know, they're, they're from that age when the Civil Rights March will happen. Um, some of them are great. Some of them really do a great job. Um, I really commend the guy in, a, in a Kansas City. 
he not only talks it, but you see it in his actions, the way that he's engaged with the community and he's trying to do the right thing. And there's other teams that I've seen try to do some outreach, but as an African-American player, you have to be really careful about voicing your blackness. Look at uh, Dick Allen. That man should be in the Hall of Fame right now, but he was too loud and too bold for him. When you put his, his war up against some of the other players, he's right up there at the top. But he was a guy who was too vocal. He was too in your face. At the end of his career, he tried to tone it back down, but by then it was too late. One of the greatest hitters of that era is not in the Hall of Fame. And you, ha you have to really be careful because they have long memories. Um, I've run into some great people in baseball who try to do things to make sure that things are handled fairly and things are, you know, that the most prepared, the best fit for the job, you know, that person gets the job. Uh, there's some places where you see that that doesn't clearly happen. For me, I really had to wait until I was secure, till I got my contract, till I was, you know, till I was solidified as a major player before I started speaking out or like making notice of things like that. Um, because they can cut you right out and there's no recourse. They'll just replace you. The game will always go on. And I think they, they know that. Um, Bruce Maxwell is a great example, a guy, a kid from Oakland who took a knee, took a knee with a, Kaepernick or for you know Kaepernick when he made it up to the big leagues uh he did not get called back that next year he went to Mexico and had a phenomenal year in Mexico and then the following season didn't get one invite to a camp you're talking about a catcher that can hit those guys are rare in baseball those, those guys are valuable a catcher that can hit he had a really good year in Mexico didn't even get invited to camp just incredible stuff from uh, Preston Wilson. And we're, we're talking baseball. I know it seems to be on the back burner with everything else going on. But, I mean, we're sitting here at the beginning of June. How much do you miss not having it on the TV right now? Oh, I miss it, man. Baseball has been a part of my life since, since I was a kid. You know, I grew up watching my dad play. You know, uh, when, I, when I really first got interested, it was the 1979 World Series, uh, the Pirates and the Orioles. I was like five years old. And from then I was done. You know, I was captivated seeing, you know, the black and yellow in Pittsburgh and seeing the Orioles, you know, knowing that they had a history with Frank Robinson, like all of that stuff was amazing to me. And then watching my dad play, you know, I started learning the intricacies of the game. And then when I finally decided that I wanted to play, it was done. Like it was a wrap. Like I, my life has never not had baseball in it. And right now, uh, you know, you just sit there and you go, man, just that I want to smell the grass. I want to, I want to be out. I want to hear that click, that bat. Uh, and right now that's, that void is uh, definitely loud in my life. I, you, I, we mentioned, you know, you mentioned the owners as far as, as race goes, but right now it's owners versus players as far as getting this season started. How, how do they find that middle? How do they get the season? How do they get 2020 started? And what do they need to do to secure baseball? God, I mean, you look at everything going on in the 2021 and 2022. I mean, we know what's on the horizon. What needs to happen to get this season going and make sure there's no stoppages down the road? Um, I think there needs to be an honest look at what's going on. And, uh, you know, they, they already shortened the draft this year, um, which to me is, yeah, you're looking at the money that you may not make this year, but we have to admit the revenues in baseball have skyrocketed over the last 10, 15 years. I mean, they talked, they were the last year, they said the, the revenues were like $10 billion. Yeah. When I played, it was like 1.7. So if you're like, they're making money, there's money being made. The contracts haven't gone up that much to say that there's a void of that eight plus billion dollars that the owners have raked in as profit. So they're making money. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like 
it's tough because when you talk about capitalism, there's supposed to be an assumed risk. And right now it seems like the owners are trying to avoid any risk. They already cut the draft. They're trying to figure out how to shorten this. And the players are like, look, if we start making too many concessions, we're never going to get that back. Um, because that's just the way business is. Once you lose something, it's hard to get it back. So I think the players have to understand that there are some, some challenges, but I, I think the players have done a pretty good job of being willing to lean towards the owners uh, and try to get something done. Um, the fact is, it's so uncertain right now because we have a virus that there's no cure for. There's no vaccine, there's no cure. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when guys are going to get on the field. Just here in Florida, yesterday was announced that we had the biggest one-day jump in cases since mid-April. Oh, And that's sobering because you forget about it because of all the protests that's going on and all the stuff that comes out in the news every day, but that's still out there. And now we're going to see other, other cities start posting numbers because when they opened up everything in some places for Memorial Day, people weren't being careful. People aren't protecting themselves. So you got, you're going to have to deal with that. And then you're going to have to deal with how to keep the players, their family, everybody that works in the stadiums and operations, in the clubhouse, in the front offices, how do you keep them safe? And how do you make sure that they're not interacting with people who are interacting with people that may have this virus? Right. The logistics of this thing are staggering. I, I, don't, I look at it from time to time, and I don't know how they're going to do it. How are you going to maintain this closed bubble of people within any stadium on any day? It could possibly take anywhere from 1,000 to 1,800 people just to run that stadium. Yeah. Electricians, cleanup crew, uh, people in all. Like, there's a lot of people that go unseen when a game is being presented. So I don't know how they do that. I'm, I'm, you know, still hopeful that they figure out something for the uh, 2020 season. I was at Marlins Park uh, for media night back in January, and you know what? The uh, the thought of a World Series in November at a neutral site like uh, Marlins Park that intrigues me. I'd like to see how that's uh, how that's pulled off, what the crowd would be like there, and seeing that stadium from the outside and seeing it the way that I saw it back in January on the inside, I kind of want to take in a game there and see what that's, uh, what that might be like inside that stadium. It's, it's a fun, it's, it's a fun stadium. It's a beautiful stadium. It's a family oriented stadium. Um, then you also have like a restaurant bar, like down there, the, uh, the Cleveland there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has pretty much everything. The food is great. And you know, you're not going to get rained on. So you have <laughs> all of those qualities in the stadium and, We've seen games when they had the World Baseball Classic in that stadium where it is awesome. The atmosphere is loud. It's a lot of fun. So I think that would be a great venue for a uh, neutral site for a World Series. And for anybody that's upset that they removed the big thing in center field whenever a home run was hit, it is on the outside of the stadium for anybody to see and take pictures in front of. I, I, I was so happy when I saw that was still there and still a part of the stadium. You, you missed that? <laughs> I, I, went, I went and I was running around the neighborhood and I went and I did a loop around the stadium. And when I saw that there, I stopped dead in my tracks because I thought they just completely got rid of it, burned it, just wanted no remembrance of it at all. And to see that they put it on the outside of the stadium just made me so happy to see that because you know who thought that was a good idea to put it in there? You played, you played in New York. You played with the Mets with the yes. apple that came out. Yes. 
That's yeah. no, that's that's like twelve times the size of the apple. Like it was the most gaudy, just like carnival-looking thing you ever want to see in a major league stadium. It's like you build this beautiful stadium and you get like a state fair like ride and pull it out into outfield with Marlins spinning around on sticks. And I was like, why? But why? Is what I wanted to know. And and it's funny because the owner was very proud of it. And I get it because he's an art guy and I'm sure he has a different appreciation right. for art and some things that I do. Um, but it, it really, it was something. It was, it was really something to see. Yeah. And it's still there for photo ops, just not yeah. inside the building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Preston, I really appreciate the time, man. I, uh, I, I, I like this talk and hopefully – uh, hopefully somebody out there listening hears the message and it teaches uh, teaches them something to learn or at least to understand what others might be going through during this time. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, no problem, man. Like, like I said, the main point of this all is we just want you to care. That's it. Even, even, if, you don't, even if you don't agree, we want you to care that a fellow American or a portion of Americans have this discrepancy in the way that they're being treated. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like you can look at all the, you have all the information is there. You can look at the stats from how it is in housing, how it is in bank loans, how it is uh, dealing with police, all the sentencing when you go to court, there are discrepancies that there's data to back up. We're not just whining. We're not just trying to get special treatment. All the information is there. The Department of Justice has backed this up. Different studies from prestigious colleges like Harvard and Yale, they have done these studies. So it's not just us asking you to take our word. If you need the data, feel free. If you find me on Twitter and I'll send it to you. I've done that to friends. I've sent them the data so that you can have something to look at and realize that this is real. And it's not just people complaining. It's a real simple at Preston Wilson 44 is where people can find you on Twitter as you have been very vocal and tweeting out a lot of a lot of information about what is happening in the world today. Preston, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. That's World Series champion uh, Preston Wilson from the 2006 Cardinals joining us here on Weekend Joe. Driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here exclusively on ClabesOnline.com. Hey, another sponsor here of Weekend Joe. It's Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker. You know, Kevin Miller has uh, been buying and selling homes here in St. Louis for, has it been, what, 30 years now, I think, is what I saw recently. He is uh, he is really uh, been putting in the time and effort here in the St. Louis area to establish himself as one of the premier realtors in uh, all of St. Louis. You can give them a call, 314-503-4999. That's 314-503-4999. For 30 years, Kevin Miller has been making your priorities his priorities when it comes to buying or selling homes and let him do that with you when uh, well, when you make your uh, next choice. So whether you're upgrading, whether you're downsizing, Kevin Miller, he is going to be that guy for you. Again, Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker at 
503-4999. That's Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker. Take a break. When we come back, Larry Hughes is our next guest right here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura here exclusively on ClaybesOnline.com. Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here on ClaybesOnline.com, now the exclusive home of Weekend Joe. Hey, St. Louis Acura has received the Precision Team Award 28 times more than any other Acura dealership in the United States. They have been serving the St. Louis area since 1986, located at 13720 Manchester Road in St. Louis. They are your premier realtor of new and used Acura vehicles in the nation that is Munganess St. Louis Acura the title sponsor here of Weekend Joe now on clavesonline.com and welcome back into Weekend Joe driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura here exclusively on clavesonline.com as we head back out to our guest line and we welcome on in. He is the Slew Billiken legend. He is Larry Hughes, and he joins us now. Larry, how are you, man? How uh, what's going on? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, maintaining, obviously, through uh, everything that's going on right now. Uh, just keeping a positive mind and and staying active, but uh, staying healthy at the same time. Yeah, and uh, you know, before we get into everything that's that's going on right now in in the world and in our community, it's probably been a, a very busy past few weeks for you. I, I would imagine seeing some of the uh, the last dance that we that we saw those five weeks that had to bring back some memories from uh, from you, and then all of the LeBron and Michael Jordan debates that probably went on too that you probably got drug into. Yeah, yeah, I, I stay stay away from those debates with a ten foot pole. No, but I uh, I um, definitely was. It, it was amazing for me, man. I um, was like a kid in a candy store. I brought back tons of, of memories. Uh, took me down memory lane. You know, I you know really started playing uh, basketball, watching basketball during MJ's time. So all of that stuff, you know, just kind of took me back to that you know, 14, 15 uh, year old guy when I was, you know, really looking for someone to follow and, you know, starting that journey out. So the last dance was, was much needed and, and definitely was, it was, was a great, great watch. When did you first meet Michael Jordan? I met MJ um, probably 97. Um, I was I actually went to Chicago to work out with Tim Grover uh, before uh, I decided to go to uh, St. Louis University, so I went to work out just to see where I was at. And Tim Grover is, is was MJ's trainer at the time, uh, so he had happened to be uh, kind of hanging around or was coming was, was coming in for a workout later that day. Uh, so we were able to get a chance to to meet and for him to say what's up. And then I got a chance to get on the court with him. Um, I think like around ninety eight or ninety nine. And you're, you're just a kid at that point. I mean, I've heard – so I've heard the stories about – from people about Jordan on the golf course and how intense he is. We all heard the stories in the last dance. When you're just playing a pickup game and, and he knows, you know, how old you are and where you're – you know, what's that like? Is he still I – mean, he's is he out for blood even in a pickup game like that? Oh, no question. No question. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, you know, sarcastic, you know, with that – with that little influence of, of him being, you know, one of the greats or the greatest. Um, 
So his his little sarcastic jokes they really they really cut a little bit deeper uh, because you know there's a lot of fact to, to what he's saying. Uh, but he was I mean he was great man for for a guy that likes to compete and, and want to battle um, and for always looking for a challenge like he would always give you that challenge whether it was you know mental or, or physical he would definitely give you a challenge. Anything that you learned from him that you you try to apply to your uh, to your kids in your academy? Uh, really work ethic. I think that we all talk about, you know, um, putting yourself in, in a position to, you know, to take the last shot, uh, not only take the last shot, have confidence in making that shot. Um, you know, how you carry yourself on and off the court. Um, I was a guy that when I was in Washington with him, I watched him more off the court than I did on the court, uh, how he carried with the media, uh, how he was able to get, uh, your attention when he walked in the room. So these are all the things that, you know, I've learned and picked up over the years that I for sure give back to everyone that comes uh, to be a part of the academy and beyond. You know, yesterday you, you mentioned, you know, that, that being in Washington, going to Chicago, being here in St. Louis, and that's a trend. I, I had Preston Wilson on earlier, the, uh, the former Cardinal World Series champion, and he's another guy that, like you, played in so many different cities throughout your, your career. And – when we get to talking about everything going on in, in the country right now, what were some of your experiences moving from city to city and, and having all of those different experiences and having to, I guess, figure out what those communities were like? I think it's about perspective. You know, really having the perspective that Everyone is not from where you're from. Everyone, you know, they don't have the same privileges. They don't have the same struggle. So it's about perspective. It's about understanding who that person is that you're talking to or standing next to you. And I think for me, that's been my, uh, my navigation tool uh, throughout my life. I was living in St. Louis, growing up in St. Louis. I went to a different school up until I was a freshman in high school. So for me, moving around in different communities and, and being, you know, in different school systems, you know, it really allowed me perspective um, that everybody wasn't from where, I'm, where I was from and I wasn't included uh, wherever, you know, in those places where, where other people were from. So playing, you know, my childhood kind of, you know, introduced me or made, you know, me playing in different cities uh, a little bit easier because I was used to, to moving around. I was used to understanding uh, other people's struggles or other people's deals that that were going on, and I didn't make it. I didn't. I didn't make it about me. And I think that that's the, the biggest thing is when you go to someone else's community, you can't make it about you. Uh, it's about uh, everything that's going on in that space. And then when the spotlight comes on you, as you got older, and more and more people started to recognize who you were and what you were going to become. Did that spotlight, did that help or, I guess, kind of magnify what you might have had to deal with? Uh, I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance. I think that having, you know, uh, fame, so to speak, is a gift and a curse. Um, you have to know how to deal with it, uh, but you also have to be humble. And anybody that meets me, you know, they, they really know where I stand. I'm not below anyone and I'm not above anyone. I'm just I'm in the space. I'm navigating through this thing like everybody else. Uh, but yeah, man, the, the, the fame part of it, um, especially with in this day and age with social media and, and how big everything is and how small the world is with social media, uh, fame can, is, is definitely a gift and a curse. 
And you see, you you see NBA players, especially now, they use that social media platform to to speak out to this and try to help as best as they as best as they can in this uh, in this current climate. Yeah, they do. I think they've grown up in that space. Me, I'm not necessarily a social media guy. I'll tweet here and there. You know, I, I post pictures here and there. Uh, but that's why I wanted to take this opportunity to, to jump on a few different platforms um, to answer these questions and to talk about uh, the things that can go out on Twitter. Um, I like to have conversation as opposed to leave things for interpretation. Uh, so for me, this is my outlet. Uh, but I know um, the generation that's coming up. I mean, I was transitioning out of the NBA when, you know, when Twitter was kind of when was was coming in. Uh, and we would have all the classes about what to tweet, what not to tweet. So these guys are well-versed in, you know, those social media platforms. So I think that they're using it uh, to the best of their ability at this point. So what do you, as you, as you look at what's going on, let's start, let's start locally here in St. Louis. I think there's still, there's still so much pain and there's so many questions that still seem that people didn't get the answers to over what we saw in Ferguson a few years ago that even though what, what we saw happen recently didn't directly happen in St. Louis, a lot of those memories seem to be coming back up. And so what would you say to people that might not understand why things are happening in St. Louis the way they have been recently? Well, these things, these injustices are going on in everyone's community. Uh, everyone, no one is, is, is outside of the, the situations that, that are going on right now. So we're all dealing with some sort of injustice within our community, within our, our um, you know, within the, the, the black community. We're, we're somewhat dealing with um, injustice in, in some way, some shape or form. Um, and it is a little bit odd, a little bit different that this situation sparked so much outrage and it's, it's gaining a lot of traction that a lot of these other situations and cases didn't. Um, you know, I would expect or would think that, you know, the injustice that were, were pointed towards, you know, young people and kids would bring more of an uproar. Um, but again, I don't think it's, it's necessarily proper to ask why. But at the same time, I think that there's reasons why. Um, that there's a pandemic going on. Uh, we have people that are unemployed. Uh, we have people that, um, that are furloughed. Uh, we have sports. There's no sports on TV. So there's a lot of you can't go back to your normal life. You have to address the situation that's at hand. And I think that that's very important that we couldn't just turn the TV off, you know, and go to work the next day or change the channel and go to a sporting event, right? These, these are things that are right in front of us. So um, they're, they're, it's getting the most, having the most impact. Uh, so uh, I've been taking the, the stance here this past week of listening and reading and just seeing what, you know, what has been, posted by by people there's nobody cares what my opinion is or anything I haven't felt or I haven't experienced some of the stories and things that that you might have so when you see a situation like we saw in the NFL with Drew Brees talking about kneeling and still associating it with the flag at, at this point is there is it still worth going out and trying to teach somebody like him why people like Colin Kaepernick were doing what they were doing or I, I mean, because it, if he hasn't learned by now, is he, is, is an athlete going to learn or is anybody going to learn? And how do you, how do you make that happen? 
Well, I, I think it's actually our duty to accept that. I think it's it's our duty uh, as, as black people to accept um, to accept that to have a conversation with a Drew Brees or have a conversation with someone that we feel they don't necessarily get it. Uh, because if we go into our shell and say, uh, you know, they'll, they'll never get it, they'll never understand, then we're not making any progress. So I think it is about educating. I think it is about understanding. And it is about perspective. Um, now, again, we don't all, all come from the same walk of life. And for me, I, I mean, it, it keeps coming up over and over is that we have to have perspective. If, if you come out and you make a comment, you have to understand how that's going to affect the person that's standing next to you, the person that you work with. Uh, the person that's dealing with, um, you know, an, an issue and, and figure out how that's going to affect them. And if you have no, if you have no care that it affects someone that's standing next to you, then you are who you say, who they say you are. But if you made a comment and you, you know, you made a mistake and, you know, there's a way out of it. I think that that's the way that we should move as opposed to, you know, turning our back on someone that we feel just doesn't get it. Playing in the NBA, um, not many white Americans in the NBA. Was there ever a time where you had to help a teammate that was a, a white American teammate maybe learn or kind of help them understand an issue that you you guys uh, were, were going through? Um, I, not necessarily personally um, because those, those locker rooms are – or somewhat of, of sanctuaries. And we understand that everyone has a, a different opinion and a different walk of life. And that's where that perspective comes in at. Um, and it's how you carry yourself in the workplace and then how you carry yourself at home. And what we're talking about right now is that the way you carry yourself in that workplace, let's try to have that same mentality when you go home behind closed doors. Uh, we're having a lot of public conversations now uh, with, with, you know, uh, white Americans coming over to the to the to the black side, to the African American side, uh, publicly. Uh, but we want to make sure that these conversations and these comments uh, are the same in private. And I think that that's where the swing and that's where the change happens. Is that if everything is an open book, then you don't have to hide those those skeletons and and you don't have those underlying issues of you know you acting one way and and behaving in a, in a different way, or you're and saying one thing and behaving in a different way. And as we see, as we see, maybe the the protests start to dwindle down over the next week. What what things need to be done to make sure that message still stays strong, even though there might not be as many people in the street next week as there there were this past week. Well, I think it's how we fight those battles. Um, whether you protest, whether you do it legislation, whether you write letters to uh, Congress or write letters to your state board. I think that there's always a way to continue the fight. Um, and I, I would look, you know, if, if things happen to die down on the streets, I would just think that everyone is finding a different angle uh, to work the same progress. And with the number of, of different faces that are in these protest crowds, um, there's a lot of different resources that, that start to show themselves. So I think that we want to use, you know, all of the resources that all of these different faces um, you know, has brought to the table and begin to show some progress there. As we talked about at the beginning with all of the different cities that you played in during your career, as you look around at the way that the, the, the protests are the, have, have spread throughout the entire country, is there, I mean, as you look from city to city, what, what are your thoughts on, on that, knowing that you've lived in so many of those? 
I, I think it's positive. I think it's positive. I mean, I, I always try to, to see the good in people and me seeing the good in people is seeing all of the faces that were in the crowd that is talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and the, the, you know, the lift that they're willing to go um, to see that progress happen. It hasn't necessarily been that way. Um, and that's what's been the change. And that's what's been the good thing about it is I played in, in Oakland and, you know, just the different people that are in Oakland because it's close to San Francisco, because it's close to San Jose and just how that, that melting pot boils down just to see, you know, a number of those faces uh, come out and say black lives matter. I think it's very important. And you have a, you, how old is your son now? He's uh 16. 16. What, what have you talked to him about during, during this? What, what kind of message have you given to your, your 16 year old son? Um, well, we started this conversation, you know, uh, a long time ago. Is it, it, it's, it's really about that you're, you're beneath no one, uh, you're above no one, um, and you humble yourself. And you understand the perspectives of everyone that's involved. My son goes to CBC High School, uh, which he's in a diverse school. So he has an understanding of, of what's going on and kind of the makeup of the country. Um, and with that, it's just a message of, Everyone's not good and everyone is not bad, right? If we have a, a mission, if we have a cause, then we have to support that cause. We have to, to sometimes show force with that cause, um, but you have to do it consistently. Uh, anything that you do, you have to do it consistently and make sure that you promote a positive message. And that's what we're trying to get out of this situation is be consistent, be there every day. Whatever your fight is, whether it's walking the streets or whether it's tapping the computer, or whether it's writing handwritten letters, just do that consistently. Uh, and that's really the message that I, that I promote to him. Uh, and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, he'll, he'll pass that on to, to, you know, to his kids and, and, and further on. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, helping, helping educate, helping spread the message that you, uh, that you have been today. I, I gotta, I gotta imagine though, that here we sit June 5th and, for Larry Hughes not to have NBA on, on, the, on your TV, not to be in the midst of the playoffs and getting to watch that. Uh, what, what's that been like uh, for, I mean, a former NBA player not having that? Because as a fan, just not having any sports right now just really, really sucks. You know what? It, it doesn't really bother me, really, really? To, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm very much a family person. Um, and the only thing that bothers me about the NBA and not watching being on is Jason, not having the ability to watch Jason play uh, because every time they play, I'm watching. Um, so I'm a, I'm a fan and I'm obviously a fan of the NBA. I play the NBA, but you know, I'm a fan of, of, of his. So that's what I'm looking for. When can, can Boston get back on, on, on the board? You know, when can Lil J put up some numbers? You know, that's who I'm a fan of right now. Have you have you read in enough to read enough to see what their plan is to to come back? I, I have, I have, I, I understand it. I don't think that there was going to be a, a a right, you know, a perfect scenario for all the teams that are, were involved or the situation, you know, the health concerns, the safety concerns. I don't think that there was going to be a, you know, a, a situation where everybody said, you know what, that's the one, that's the one that we all want to want want to watch. That's what we all want to rock with. So. For me, it, it's, it's good to have, um, you know, the best teams, which a lot of those teams are on the West. So I like that they did the 13 and 9 uh, just to give, you know, those better teams that are more prepared for a good quality 
uh, competition, uh, the access to join that bubble. Uh, but it's, uh, it'll be a fun time. I mean, I can't imagine all the all those guys too in just one city playing at one place. If they're, I mean, I don't know if they've talked about it yet, but if there's a game going on, say, I mean, say when you're still playing, are you going to the arena and watching that? Are you sitting in the crowd? Are you talking trash to the guys that are on the court? How would that How would that go down? You know what they, you know, when they have the Olympics, I guess that's that's a little bit of the format, right? So you know, yeah. a lot of the players will sit and and kind of watch the. But it, it is different, you know, having that as an NBA game. I, I wouldn't watch. Yeah, I wouldn't stay and watch. Um, I would leave and, and go and, you know, tune in to, to one of the devices and catch them uh, online. But, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to stay around. Uh, the Larry Hughes Academy, what uh, – you guys are close to reopening the, uh, the doors there. That's uh, – that, that's got to be uh, feel real good that you guys are going to allow or, or start uh, being able to teach kids again. Yeah, we're, we're getting ready to gear up to get back into the space. Uh, the staff comes in uh, here next week so we can start to review all of our safety procedures and, and you know, make sure that we can bring people in and exit them as safely uh, as possible due to the social distancing and the, the times that we're in now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we want to get, you know, kids back into the space. I mean, we are a diverse uh, organization. I mean, people of, of different, you know, different faces are always coming through our doors. So we want to be that melting pot uh, to start to spread uh, positivity, um, you, know, you know, through the space, respect, accountability, um, and also using basketball, give these kids some moves, uh, talk to them about why um, they're learning the things that they're learning, uh, and just have some, have some fun with it. Now, uh, of all the guys that you played with in your career, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You can name names. Who defensively probably socially distanced themselves the most from the guys that they were guarding? Um, <laughs> hmm, that's a good one. That's a good one. So who played no D? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Ah, man, that is on the spot. You know, I, play, I had many, many teammates. <laughs> Uh, you know what? One person comes to mind, and I'm not going to say this person wasn't a good defender, uh, but we did have an occasion where he didn't want any parts of a guy, so it was social distance. Uh, <laughs> Scott Pollard, Scott Pollard, when we were in uh, Cleveland, uh, we had the Lakers coming to town. I believe, I believe Shaq was still on the Lakers. I'm not sure. I know Shaq was not on the Lakers. Shaq was in Miami, I believe. Uh, and Scott Pollard came up with Shaq with the bad back. And he was in the training room, and he was just fine doing training, um, doing shoot-around. And we get into the, the – he's one of our bigger guys, Big Z, uh, and, and, and Scott Pollard. So he's one of our bigger guys. So we're looking to have Scott, you know, guard Shaq uh, tonight. And we walk into the training room, and Scott's on his back on the training table. So we all start calling the Shaq back. So that could have been a little bit of him trying to social distance from, from Shaq. After, I mean, what so Pollard would have had some uh, good matchups when he was with the Kings and Shaq was with the Lakers. So uh, he would have wanted no part of him, I, I think, by then. He, he probably learned his lesson a few times. That's why we called it Shaq back, because we knew there was a little bit of something behind that. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Pollard, of course, uh, just, I mean, constantly changing the facial hair, the, the length of his hair, everything. I mean, every, I mean, it was almost like a Dennis Rodman type thing from year to year with the uh, different looks that Pollard went with. 
You know what? Scott was one of those guys. Scott was one of those guys. Uh, you know, besides that fact, I think Scott will go to battle with you in, in any sort of scenario, in any situation. But like you said, I think those Kings days kind of, you know, put a little bit on his on his brain to think about. So he, uh, right before tip off, man, he came up with Shaq back. <laughs> Larry Hughes, man, thank you so much for uh, for jumping on and uh, spreading your message today. I really, really appreciate it. And on top of that, you said you don't watch a whole lot of NBA, but with the news this week of two guys returning to SLU, it looks like your Billikens are going to be in uh, really good shape next year for their uh, basketball season, too. Yeah, and that, that, that's good. I'm glad that those guys got a chance to uh, experience the, you know, somewhat of the draft process. I'm sure it was very different than, than past years. Uh, just to get that input uh, from guys that really know uh, so they can achieve their their ultimate goal. And I think that's playing professional basketball, playing at the highest level. So I commend those guys for going and taking that opportunity to look at, to see what they can do better. Uh, but also they can bring that information back to help their teammates. And I think that that is important, especially in the, in the time uh, that we're in, is that we make sure that we help uh, the people that are next to us or the people that are coming up, up under us. Larry Hughes, thank you so much, man. Have a great rest of your day. I appreciate you. That's Billiken legend and former NBA star Larry Hughes joining us here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura, now exclusively on ClabesOnline.com. Hey, everything that we've been dealing with the past few months with the with COVID-19, with the coronavirus, the Inskip Law Firm, another sponsor here on Weekend Joe, wants to remind you that we, we've seen that you know things can change in an instant. Many people are realizing now more than ever that estate planning is essential. The Inskip Law Firm is here to help with everything from trust and wills to power of attorney, deeds, and probate. They have systems in place to service your needs without having to have an in-person consultation or if an in-person is preferred, their office maintains a, a clean and social distancing policy to assure your safety to the best of their ability. Corey Inskip, he uses flat fees and payment plans so clients are able to know exactly what their plan will cost before everything gets started and you'll know exactly how you'll be able to pay for it. He makes the process easy and there's no preparation necessary. Clients don't need to gather a bunch of paperwork. It's just a quick chat. That's all you need with Corey and Skip to learn what the goals are for you and he'll answer any questions that you might have as he decides what services are right for you and your family. That's Corey and Skip at the Inskip Law Firm. Hey, remember uh, the Corey uh, the Inskip Law Firm by the way, 314-818-0344. That's 314-818-0344. That's Inskip I N S K I P. Corey Inskip at the Inskip Law Firm. And remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertising. Take a quick break back with more of Weekend Joe exclusively on clavesonline.com. We're driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura. This is Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura, right here on ClavesOnline.com. Hey, have you thought about uh, buying or selling your home here in St. Louis? Well, Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker, he can help you out in doing so. Been selling and buying homes for well, a few decades now. You can call him at 314-503-4999. That's 314-503-4999. That's Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker. And welcome back into Weekend Joe, driven by Munganash St. Louis Acura 
here on ClavesOnline.com as we head on out to the guest line. And we welcome in the CEO of Celsius Healthy Energy Drink. He's John Fieldley, and he uh, joins us now. John, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Ah, doing great. Doing great. Keeping busy and uh, staying up with the energy. So thanks for having us. No, thank thank you for the energy. Uh, you guys uh, sent me a, a few cans of the uh, the Celsius a few weeks ago, and I, I wanted to to talk to you about everything going on. I, I talk, I, I and I, I get it's a running joke about the amount of fitness and stuff that I talk about here on the show uh, because. It's almost a year. I mean, we're closing in almost a year that I tore my ACL and had to have uh, surgery. The second ACL that I've torn, as you know, you only have two of them. So yeah, both knees I've, uh, I've, I've done in my life. And now I'm, I'm back up and running and doing half marathons, maybe marathon training, all that stuff. I actually just uh, finished a 25 mile bike ride this morning. And I, I'm usually very, very caffeinated during the day. And, uh, you know, having something like the Celsius is, uh, is always good to have in the, uh, in the fridge. You nailed it spot on uh, with your Celsius in hand. Fitness and health go hand in hand with Celsius. So Celsius is all about Celsius live fit. So we're always encouraging everyone to live a healthy, active lifestyle. And Celsius is here to power you through your next run or, or your next activity. No question about that. So, John, tell me, how does one become the uh, the CEO of a uh, an energy drink company? Where where does that start and uh, how, how does one get into that? Yeah, I... Um actually started off with Celsius over uh, 12 years ago and uh, just been working hard ever since. I uh, originally started after really as their CFO and the accounting side and operations and uh, just uh, just working hard. Um, the prior CEO retired and uh, had an opportunity and took it and we've been doing well. We originally were born in vitamin specialty gyms and health clubs. And over the last several years to that due to those health and wellness trends, Celsius is a thermogenic that burns calories and body fat, and it's getting broader appeal and really broader acceptance. Now we're in Target, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and Kroger's, um, Casey's stores, uh, gaining distribution all over. It's really a great time for the company. And yeah, that, that, so I mean, it, has it? You, you said you've been with them for for quite a while. When did the boom start getting into all of those stores and uh, getting the name out there? Yeah, it really um, started to see some momentum uh, about three years ago. And actually, one of our first main retailers was 7-Eleven, where they took a really, they saw the this this forefront or on the cutting edge of uh, this health and wellness trend and healthy energy. Uh, so 7-Eleven brought us on, was really our first really mainstream retail coming out of the gyms and health clubs, vitamin shop and GNC, where we're still there today. So Ever since that, uh, we took us about a year to prove ourselves. You only have a couple months to perform. Otherwise, you don't last too long in convenience, especially 7-Eleven. It's very competitive. And we were able to succeed, and um, we've been gaining more distribution every day and gaining more consumers. Fans love us. You drink at Celsius now. It tastes great. You get a nice elevation, no crash. It makes you feel good, and uh, you're able to conquer your day. And uh, I mean, flavor is always a big thing too with, with me. I, I think you guys sent me the, it's the, I'm drinking the uh, sparkling apple pear right now. And I also have the, uh, the peach. What else do you guys have? Oh man, we got 11 great flavors. The Fuji apple pear we launched uh, last year, great results on it. Uh, and uh, the peach vibe we just launched right now. It's one of the top selling energy drinks 
on uh, flavors on uh, Amazon. So really excited about that. Coming to a retailer soon near you, but we have kiwi guava, some great flavor combinations, and some of our core flavors uh, that we've had of orange, and uh, we have raspberry acai. We have a grapefruit melon green tea, peach mango. It's really uh, what we've learned is the flavor combinations do really well. So we have an innovation team that's always working on flavors. There's 2.8 grams of vitamins in those drinks, which as we all know, vitamins do not taste good or hard to mask. So the team works really hard to, to really mask those uh, flavors with some great flavor combinations with the green tea, guarana, and ginger as the, uh, the backbone of the drink. So as the uh, as the CEO, is there a lot of taste testing involved of uh, of this? Is it just constant, uh, constant high energy there at the uh, office? It is. It's constant high energy here. We're always uh, sampling new flavors. We have a cross-functional team that meets uh, weekly on innovation, trying to get innovative trends, watching competition, talking to flavor houses, uh, and constantly trying to find that next great flavor. So lots of uh, sampling and plus we have uh unlimited celsius to drink here at the office all day so it's uh pretty great so you guys uh started something a, a few weeks ago with the with covid 19 with the coronavirus pandemic going around the country you wanted to help give back to first responders to healthcare workers which has resulted in you guys giving away a lot of products for uh for free to to help keep the uh, the healthcare workers going as their jobs at, at you know we're talking you know at the beginning of all this were were nonstop many many hours very little sleep uh, talk about that is that something you guys are still still offering right now as well absolutely and if you're a first responder DM us on Instagram with your ID and we'll go ahead and send samples out and also if you want to just put your location where you work we'll do a larger drop so. Of product, we're all about providing healthy energy to first responders. Need it, uh, you know. They need it now, ever more than before. They're working 48 hours, some 36. It's, uh, you know, they're on the front line. So uh, we want to help power them through it. So we're all about helping and giving back. And we also have also been partnering and, and really giving back to the local small businesses and communities, which, as we all know, are the backbone to our economy. And one area where we're big in it is in gyms and health clubs. Um, so we pivoted and, and created a Sweat with Celsius campaign that's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on our Instagram at 9 a.m. Uh, and 10 a.m. Uh, your time as well. And what we're doing is we're getting local trainers to come and do a variety of workouts. Uh, we have HIIT workouts, Pilates, all different types. And you don't need any equipment. It's for all ages. We encourage everyone to join. But it really gives them a platform. And we're promoting them and hopefully helping them build their client base. Uh, and it's really beneficial for everyone. We all need to help our small businesses even now more than ever before. And uh, in addition to giving back, that's uh, we're giving back with the small businesses and the gym owners, which are hurting really bad, as you know, as uh, many of them are closed. They're starting to reopen now, but it's been extremely slow. Yeah, I uh, as somebody that I have already been told our gym won't be opening until at least July, I uh, I still have another month of trying to make my own workouts at home. So I uh, yes, I, I feel for those companies as well. Well, join us on uh, Celsius Official on our Instagram tomorrow at uh, 10 a.m. and uh, you can get your workout on. 
Very nice. So that is uh, you guys again on Instagram, as you mentioned, it is Celsius official on Instagram is where you can find uh, find you guys. And as you said, DM the picture of the uh, your ID, your badge to them and you guys will send out free product. Uh, and let them know too where where you work, and you guys will do an even uh, bigger drop. That's awesome, John. Thank you so much. Absolutely, thank you. You're listening to Weekend Joe now on ClabesOnline.com, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Also sponsored by the Collinsville Auto Body, Collinsville Auto Body, nine one one North Bluff Road in Collinsville. Sponsor of uh, well, my many shows on many different platforms for about ten years now. Collinsville Auto Body, they'll work with most insurance providers to get you back on the road fast. That's nine one one North Bluff Road in Collinsville. Collinsville Auto Body. <laughs> And welcome back in. It's Weekend Joe, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com. Joe Roderick, Andy Hanselman, closing things up on this uh, this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the interviews with Preston Wilson and Larry Hughes, hearing the, uh, hearing the two of them talk about the issues going on right now in the country and hopefully, uh, well, if, you're, if you're like me, hopefully you learned uh, something from them over the uh over the hour that we heard them uh chatting with uh with us so i uh i appreciate them coming on with us and i think we're going to hear um have, we're going to talk more about it with Klabes too on monday lunch with Klabes and joe it will be monday at 12 30 12 30 is uh when we've been doing that and we're going to stick to doing that here this week as well on facebook and on twitter is where you can find those uh, those shows live each and every Monday, and then we put it up everywhere after that. So it's uh, plenty of ways to uh, to listen to us, plenty of ways to do that, and and hopefully people get involved with the uh, with the show too over there on ClavesOnline dot uh, com over on Facebook and on Twitter. Andy, we uh, we need to wrap things up here. Uh, before we do that, just quickly, Munganas St. Louis Acura. It's Saturday. They're open today. And uh, what's the as we're we're recording this, Andy, as we do each and every Friday. So I'm going to look at the forecast right now for Saturday. And right now, Andy, it looks beautiful on Saturday, 92 degrees and sunny. So that it, get out there, drive a car, make sure it has good air conditioning. That's that's what you do today on a day like this, Andy. 92 degrees, you get in that car and you don't rip the knob off. In no, this don't case. do that. No, 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 dude. But turn the dial. All the way up and make sure that max AC is blasting right into your face and keeping you nice and cool. And then, you know, you know what? This car, this is going to handle St. Louis summers. Yeah, you're you're going to be in like Flint if you uh, if you do that. Yeah. And have a brand nice brand new Acura to go along with it and be right. super fancy. Right. And you know what? I bet the sale I bet the, the sales member uh, team member bet he wouldn't mind that. I bet he or she would not mind one bit if you're just cranking up the AC and just going for a nice little ride around uh, up and down Manchester. I bet, they really, I bet they really hate it when you say, you know, what? I'm not really a big fan of AC. I'm just going to roll the windows down, maybe keep the windows up and roll around in this hot car. Ah, no. Oh, my God. Nope. I nope. I'm getting out. I'm getting you know what? Hey, you go drive it. You're you go. You, you just bring life. it back in about 20 minutes. OK. There you go. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, located 13720 Manchester Road in St. Louis, your premier realtor of new and used Acura vehicles is Munganas St. Louis Acura. They've been there since 1986, almost as long as you and Craig Young have been friends. Andy, that's how long St. Louis uh, Munganas <laughs> St. Louis Acura has been located there. One of the, na- or the nation's only 28-time Acura Precision Team winner for sales, service, and customer service our friends at Munganas St. Louis Acura. Andy, it's time now for Crack Slippers. Joe, some stories just aren't meant to hit the mainstream news. We picked those stories up here on Weekend Joe. These are the Crack Slippers with Joe Roderick on Claims Online. Andy, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, will go out and, you know, when, uh, you know, I think some teachers probably, you, you probably see college students, they'll go and they'll get a job in the off season and, you know, make some money over the summer, right? Sure. Uh, or, yeah, it's some, you know, maybe an internship if they're, you know, juniors or seniors in college looking for that job, they'll go out there and they'll, you know, they'll get that internship. Well, Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars backup quarterback, Josh Dobbs, he hasn't been able to work with his team in person yet this offseason because of everything going on with the pandemic. So he, too, has taken an internship. Andy, it's not like a yeah, he's not like an intern at a radio station. He's not, you know, interning at some business somewhere on, on Wall Street, something like that. Andy, he's interning at NASA. Oh, <laughs> you mean, sorry. You kind of caught me off guard there. You say he was interning at NASA. He's interning at NASA and he was in attendance last Saturday for the launch of NASA SpaceX that took a pair of astronauts to the International Space Station. Well, I would have liked to be down there for that, too. Lucky guy. Right. He uh, he told Peter King of Football Morning in America, I was really nervous watching the countdown, knowing that those astronauts have gone through uh, what they have gone through to get to this moment. Being able to see the teamwork involved and preparation for this launch was incredible to me. It's so much like football. You see how everyone doing their job fits together and makes something great happen. That's what I really appreciated about the experience. He uh, apparently it was a uh, major of aerospace engineering at Tennessee while playing quarterback there. That's uh, could you, I mean, some, I mean, you have guys that major in broadcasting or major in PE just to go through and get their football to you know, be able to play football or basketball or baseball, or whatever sport. No, he went into aerospace engineering. That's a smart guy. Do you know what aerospace engineering really translates into, Joe? What is that? What? He's a rocket scientist. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. You have a very, very, very smart backup quarterback down there in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. The in- make pretty good athletes, too, because they can, they can make decisions lickety-split. Right. The internship, he actually got through a program organized by the NFL Players Association. Huh. So... That's uh, yeah, that's pretty cool for uh, for him cool. to do that. You know not what Josh Dobbs probably is not doing? Working at Dobbs? Pri- no, I was going to say trying to uh, consume 10,000 calories in a day. Right, which is really the important thing we really need to do. Let's not talk about the backup quarterback being a rocket scientist. Let's talk about consuming 10,000 calories a day. 
Yeah, so we did this last week. We talked about this last week. And of all people, Ryan Kelly reaches out to me. Really? Yeah, so he has a friend, who this big fitness guy, named Nick Barr, B-A-R-E, from Nick, uh, from Bar Performance Nutrition, uh, and apparently this guy, he's not only done he he does that along with eating challenges, okay. and he pointed me in direction to his YouTube channel, where he has done a ten thousand calorie food challenge multiple times. Okay, he has attempted to burn ten thousand calories while fasting. He's a tr- uh, attempted to eat 15 double-doubles from in and out in 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness. And then, Andy, he's also done a 20,000-calorie challenge. The guy, I mean, the guy is, uh, he is in perfect shape. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely perfect shape. To be able to get here to the level that this guy is and... <clears throat> I, I think I too would probably binge every now and then on 10,000 calories. So when I was researching this this week, because you, you know, we talked, you told me a couple times we were going to talk about this. Uh, I, I found a lot of those things like, like uh, about fitness and, you know, fi- you know, eating healthy, a healthy amount of 10,000 calories, which can be done with eggs and pork and vegetables and things like that. Joe, I have a fast food item list with uh, 1,000 plus calories if you want to hear some of these things. I'd love to. Yes, absolutely. Number one, a White Castle chocolate shake large, uh, 1,680 calories. All right. So hold on a second. I'm going to get my calculator out. Okay. Uh, 1,600 calories, you said? Uh, 1,680. Okay. I'm going to just go down and use and just go through uh, local stuff because uh, that was all that really matters. Yeah, uh, a Hardee's Monster Thick Burger at one thousand four hundred twenty. How much again? One thousand four hundred twenty. Andy, I've eaten two of those in one sitting before. <laughs> How about a Dairy Queen Large Chocolate Chip Cookie Dough Blizzard at coming in at thirteen twenty? I've, yeah, I've, I've, I'm almost sure I've eaten that before. Yeah, uh, a Hardee's Double Bacon Cheese Thick Burger coming in at thirteen hundred. Okay. A Dairy Queen large malt at thirteen hundred. A lots of ice cream uh, products on here. Jack in the Box Oreo cookie ice cream shake, twenty four ounce, coming in at thirteen hundred calories. Uh, let's find some others. Yeah, I was gonna there. say, get to some non ice cream ones because Hardy. I'm 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 sitting here in my mind seeing if I can do this and if I'd be able to pull this off. And the more ice cream you say, as much as I would I would definitely load up on one of those, maybe two of those ice cream treats. But there's no way, yeah, there's no way I could do that all day. All right, so Burger King Triple Whopper Sandwich with Cheese, 1,230 calories. Nice. Hardy's Big Country Breakfast Platter with the Breaded Pork Chop, 1,220. Yum. Uh, Let's see here. Um, uh, Del Taco Macho Beef Burrito, which is one of the most amazing things on the planet, coming in at 1,170. Jeez. Uh, a Hardy's Big Country Breakfast Platter with the Country Steak, eleven fifty. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can easily get this done. You can get this if you go from six p.m. to about eight p.m., ten p.m. Good. Yeah, if, if you have every meal at either White Castle or Burger King or Hardee's, you're going to easily do this. Yeah, I I definitely could do this. Like this is. 
this is stuff I could definitely do. It's uh, not Del- something that needs to be done. Del Taco Macho Nachos at eleven hundred. Jack in the Box Bacon Ultimate Cheeseburger, ten ninety. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have here? This all sounds delicious, and hopefully, if you're listening to this right now, it's time to eat because I'm sure that we're just making you very, very hungry and having to listen to uh, you know the, me and Andy uh, talk about this and. It's just we're we're just two fat kids at heart that just want to eat all this food that we're that we're talking about right now. Joe, coming in at number sixty nine, one of my favorite burgers, the super the Sonic Supersonic Cheeseburger. It's a double cheeseburger from Sonic. It's huge, coming in at nine hundred and eighty calories yeah. that I usually order with chili cheese tots. Oh God! <laughs> now I asked uh, I asked our good friend Justin Boyd, who runs things over there at Hot Shots. I asked him how many calories were in the Hot Shots challenge. That they have, and because they are, uh, it has something to do with how many restaurants you have, they don't list their calories on the menu. So he was not able to uh, give me a good answer on that, but we both talked about trying to figure that out and get an answer to that uh, here soon for that. It's a large two-topping pizza, right? Yes. Six tacos. Mm Mm-hmm. A dozen wings. Yeah. And what and what's the other? It was was it a, a Woody Burger with fries? I believe so. Yes, Woody Burger with fries. Let's assume that's probably close to two thousand calories. A large two-topping pizza, thin crust, probably close to three thousand calories. I think. Mm-hmm. Wings are extremely fattening at about four hundred calories a pop. They're deep fried, so a dozen. That's um. Uh, they're not that much. I don't know, a couple hundred calories. Then, so it's, we'll call it call twenty five hundred. And then, yeah, what it's was going to get up there? Yeah, those. Uh, I bet the I bet the six tacos are fifteen hundred. You're, I mean, you're looking at about four thousand, five thousand calories in that. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Yeah, so it definitely can be done. I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll uh, I'll talk with Claves and we'll see what kind of sponsorship deal we can get worked out with uh, with one of these. And I, I one uh, one day maybe maybe uh, sit down and, and try something like this out. It's, I got it's, one more. I got three more things for you. Then we can okay. Write. Yeah, uh, these, these are the real. These are the real top three highest calorie items. A Nathan's seafood sampler. Has three thousand three hundred and seventy-eight calories. An Arby's pecan sticky bun four pack has twenty-eight hundred calories, and Nathan's shrimp and chips has twenty-one hundred calories. Jeez, <laughs> Andy, if you watch the video that we talked about, the twenty thousand calorie challenge, Nick Barr ends up uh, tapping out over at over seventeen thousand calories. My goodness. I'm not going to read everything he ate. Go watch the video. It's not that long. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Nick Barr? B-A-R-E, yes. Okay. Yeah, go watch, uh, go watch that. Hey, I want to thank Preston Wilson and Larry Hughes for jumping on with us today. Uh, really good stuff from, uh, from them. And Andy, you as well. Uh, thank you for joining me. As always, we will uh, be back again next weekend. Klaibs and I will be on 1230 lunch with Klaibs and Joe coming up your, uh, your way on Monday afternoon. So hopefully everybody has a chance to tune into that. As always, thank you so much for listening. This has been Weekend Joe, driven 
by Munganass St. Louis Acura exclusively on ClabesOnline.com. Goodbye, everybody. Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com, now the exclusive home of Weekend Joe. Hey, St. Louis Acura has received the Precision Team Award 28 times more than any other Acura dealership in the United States. They have been serving the St. Louis area since 1986, located at 13720 Manchester Road in St. Louis. They are your premier realtor of new and used Acura vehicles in the nation. That is Munganass St. Louis Acura, the title sponsor here of Weekend Joe, now on ClabesOnline.com.